But specifically, I'm on a mission to democratize leadership. It's too much thought of as a title or a role or a set of responsibilities or something on somebody's degree. And leadership is none of those things, right? Leadership is, is a verb. The difference in leaders is they people get better on their watch. Over the course of my life and career, I've discovered the power of consciously investing in mindset and personal development. It has been a true game changer for me in my personal and professional life. And I'm extremely excited that you decided to join us today to take one step forward in your own life. Most of my breakthroughs have come from one-on-one conversations. We created this show to bring you those unfiltered conversations each and every week. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Connected Mindset Live. I'm your host, Greg Tomchik. Thanks so much for joining in, uh, whether you're watching this live on Friday, the 19th of January or tuning in on YouTube. Uh, We're we're thankful to have you here for another insightful discussion uh, with Wally Schmader. Uh, Many of you guys may know him in the 757 community, um, but you're going to get to know him at a a deeper level here today. I'm looking forward um, to diving in with Wally. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Wally. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Good to see you, Greg. Good to see you as well. Wally, so where we like to start the show, um, as opposed to giving a full background, because you have an exceptional one, is to understand Wally at a kind of mission level. So I think it'd be a great place to start by filling us in on what mission you're on and then what you're hoping with that mission each person listening in today walks away with. Okay, that's a great question. Yeah, mine is is really easy. So um, I'm all about leadership, as you know. Every conversation we've ever had, Greg, has, has been about leadership. But specifically, I'm on a mission to democratize leadership. Uh, it's too much thought of as a title or a role or a set of responsibilities or something on somebody's degree. And um, leadership is none of those things, right? Leadership is, is a verb. It's it's something you do. It's a set of activities, priorities, decisions. And in democratizing the idea of leadership, it means anybody can be a leader, right? Which which is the truth. And so I spend all day, every day, uh, trying to turn um, managers, supervisors, uh, individual producers into leaders and letting them know that they can have that kind of influence and send those kinds of ripples out into the world, as, as you well know. So that's my that's my mission for sure. Excellent. I love it. For those folks that are still trying to contextualize the word and the action of leadership, you know, how do you describe leadership to someone who may not have seen it before or has been in a position to actually exercise the muscle of leadership? It's a good question. I'm in that conversation a lot. So let's, let's define it. So we know leadership is not a title. We know it's not a role. We know it's not a degree. It may or may not be even in your, in your job responsibilities what it we know it is if you're a leader or have leadership responsibilities over other people the difference in leaders is they people get better on their watch right if, if someone is getting better because they work with greg they're working with a leader 
right? That's actually a difference between leadership and management, right? For a manager, you show up, you do your job, you go home, right? If you're working for a leader, you're getting better over time. And that's why it is so democratic, because I can be a peer of yours, not your boss at all, and still positively influence your work, positively influence the value that you can contribute to our organization, whatever it is. And so, um, and it's complicated because the, I think that there's a, a number of people your age and younger that are a little bit cynical and even the word doesn't mean what it used to. And that's probably, I believe it's because and here, these are opinions, not facts that um, in some ways our, our political leadership has let us down, right? We've seen a lot of partisan stuff in the last 20 years, a lot of bickering, right? And so the, even the word I think has lost a little bit of its shine, unfortunately, because we haven't seen high profile leaders, like even 40 or 50 years ago, high profile business leaders had a different set of um, priorities and the things that you saw them doing were not what you see people doing now, right? We think about our billionaires and all these celebrity CEOs who are adding nothing, right? They're, they're doing all these things that they wanna do around vanity and accumulation. So I think in some ways, younger people especially are looking at leadership as an idea with a little bit of a, a little cynicism. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think there's a number of parallels that are coming into play with social media, with um, you know TV and portraying a leader um, and what that is. Most of the time, the people that you see that are representing leadership are very loud, and they're, they may be obnoxious or posting things that are calling people out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's almost confusing people on what an actual leader should do and act um, yeah. like, which is confusing. Oh, well said. And they're definitely in the me business, right? The, the high yeah. profile leaders, we could I could say all the names you know them, but the, the famous business leaders today are definitely in the me business, with the exception maybe of Bill Gates, who obviously is, is doing a lot yeah. of good in the world. But it used to be that that was kind of a mandate. You get to a certain level as a leader and you're definitely in, in the business of elevating your community, right? And we yeah. see that, you know, Norfolk's a great example and we have a lot of amazing leaders that consider that part of their job. So we're lucky and a little bit spoiled probably, but um, no, I'm with you that, that what we get to see, and I think about it through like the, the my kid's age, like they're 30 and 33 and what they've seen, like they're totally cynical about, about mm -hmm. leadership, big business leadership, what have they seen, right? So. All they're doing is reacting to the channels that they're plugged into, to your point. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a confusing time for leadership. And I think you're at an ideal intersection, um, you know, to help be a leader for other leaders, um, which I want to dive into. But one of the things I'm curious about when it comes to leadership, I know the folks listening in are probably curious about as well. And I know leadership comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, I think back to a article I had in the Virginia pilot, like in high school, and I was, you know, the captain of the baseball team. And the the writer after our interview put out, um, Tom Chick leads by example, but has few words to say. Um, for the for the younger, um, because I was I was a relatively shy kid, and I didn't say much, but I tried to let my actions speak for the skills I had in the field, the things I did in the classroom, and things of that nature. And I, I had some people in my community kind of almost demonize that, like you need to talk more. Uh, I had some people say, you know, my my son or, you know, my daughter was in one of your classes and, and they really learned a lot just by, you know, watching your actions. So when I thought about leadership, it was hard for me to say, this is what a leader looks like because they're all created, you know, a little bit differently, different shapes. Um, but do you see a difference between those kind of rah-rah type leaders 
and then leaders that lead and is there you know a balance you try to find with folks when it comes to that um, or do you leverage those strengths yeah i thought what you're talking about in in our business and leadership training and consulting we call it leadership presence right so leadership presence shows up in so many different ways and some of the most impactful i'm sure you've had coaches like this but impactful uh influential leaders aren't very vocal right and they do lead by example or even more powerfully they lead with their expectations right like you can have someone who doesn't say much that has incredibly high expectations will make you do stuff i'm sure you've had these coaches and yeah. leaders in your life they'll make you do things you never would have done for yourself like you will outperform what your own expectations would have been because of the expectations of a leader and expectations don't make any noise right but they show up in the show up on the field they show up in the boardroom they show up out in the marketplace uh, then flipping it over the other way those very vocal leaders are also playing to their strengths like there's some people who just have a gift for being motivating with words and not all those people are good examples right so they're playing to their strengths um, so i think that there's a lot of room and it's interesting there are you have a certain kind of leader and they've got a certain number of let's say followers or teammates it's not going to land the same everybody have you ever noticed that like sometimes the very motivational leader who's outspoken um is off-putting for a certain kind of person i never liked that kind of i, I did not want to be motivated to this day mm -hmm. please don't motivate me i don't need that i'd love to be led i'd love to yeah. be taught right <laughs> yeah. Motivate me. yeah how about you how'd you react to were you better with the uh the, ex, the high expectations kind of leader or the highly vocal leader yeah definitely the expectations i think i had one coach that was heavily vocal that i really resonated with but it was because he was very vocal about like your primary aim and he was very vocal about you know where we're headed or the strategy of the other team so he was teaching through his through the vocal and the words that he used as opposed to kind of almost artificially trying to get us hyped up for the game, no matter who the opponent was. Yeah. Um, and I'm one of those people where I thrive in, a, in more of a learning environment where I feel like I'm growing. Um, I feel like I'm being asked hard questions. And I think those are the best coaches that I had, you know, even at the highest levels were the ones that knew when to say something and knew when not to say something. Um, and that's a huge, I think, well, that's, that's sense for a leader. Yes. Yeah. And you're talking about a leader with a big skill set there, right? So the best leaders, the very best leaders, and we know some of these people in common are, uh, can do it all, right? They can lead with their expectations when it's time to be vocal, they're ready for that. When it's time to be quiet, they got that. When it's time to um, just influence with critique or with recognition, or it's like they have all those tools. And that, that's basically my work is trying to fill up that, that toolbox for leaders, because usually you'll have something that comes naturally, which is great. But if you stop there, there's going to be a certain percentage of people that you're not going to be able to influence, right? Like if all you know, we, we both worked with people, all they know is sort of the threatening kind of leadership or the very, very vocal leadership. And sure, they'll motivate 40% of the team. But what about the others, right? You got to have other, you know, other tools. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, just with my military background and, you know, obviously being surrounded by a lot of t military leaders in our area. Um, you know, that's my parents grew up in that environment with their parents in the military. And and you, you start to at some point in life. And I think we all kind of get to this point and or it happens continuously where we ask kind of how did we get here? And, you know, what were the what were the things in our upbringing that got us here and can be leveraged? And then what are some things, you know, you may need to get rid of or you know put in the past? Um, and I thought a lot about that from the leadership standpoint, like do I as a leader, 
kind of act like a military leader, which is that like quiet. And then you, you, you could snap, you know, at any, any point in time. And then people are like, Whoa, you know, wh why did he do that? Yeah. Um, and, and it shocks them as opposed to establishing the baseline up front, which is what I try to do today is, you know, really level set those expectations up front. So people know how to either exceed or meet that goal. Um, and if you don't express them, you know, people don't know where they stand and that doesn't create certainty for them. Now, I can tell you've given that some thought that there's mm -hmm. so there's a whole skill set that most people of military experience come out with, especially if they've been leaders in the military. And it's an amazing skill set. And I could tell you what totally just having worked with a lot of these people, what definitely works. And you, you know, all these things, too, that you brought into your civilian leadership world and a couple of things that don't like people can't quit. Not everybody reacts to, to duty. Right. Mm -hmm. Not everybody um, respects the chain of command, right? So you get out into this, whatever we call this world, <laughs> and it's like, hold it, what's going on? You know, this didn't work like this in the other place. I work with a company called Recruit Military and Tim Best, who you've met, and he, their whole mission is to help people translate their military uh, leadership skill set into the sort of commercial, right, civilian military. And it's, um, they got big muscles, right, in certain areas and others that need some developing. But they always do, right? Because these people also have a sense of what leadership is. You can't spend any time in the military without understanding the impact of leadership, right? So you come out with appreciation, which is great. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting business because he is almost, I'm sure he was at one point in that position of transitioning. And it's like oh, the yeah. light bulb goes off of, you know, I need to teach people this this formula or this, this toolbox that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. He was a helicopter pilot. Yeah. People did okay. what he said without yeah. question. Like no one's questioning that guy, like, which is not how it works out here. I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. But, Man, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. So do you think that, and I want to dive into more about the tools that you think are essential for the toolbox. Um, do you think those expectations are step one whenever you want to start being a leader or you know be be put into a leadership position by somebody else um do you think they have to recognize your expectations in order to i guess respect you as a leader or you know acknowledge you as as somebody who can help them improve yeah um, i think so that, that's that's a big question that gets talked about a lot i think the first if you can show up uh with an idea that you see someone as being bigger than they are right hey uh, I appreciate what you're doing, but I know you can improve even more. Like that's the idea that that's a compliment is a big idea, right? Some people think that's an insult, but the insult, as you know, we were, I was on this conversation the other day and it was, and you, anybody ever played any kind of team sport knows this, but the day to, to worry about is the day that the coach quits yelling at you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's the day that he doesn't think, or she doesn't think you can get any better. Right. So as soon as a leader establishes that, hey, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm coaching you up, I'm raising my expectations for you, I'm seeing you growing your value contribution because I know you can. Right. It's a, it's a huge compliment. And once you establish that, you can really influence people to perform differently. And I know you've seen that in your career. And that's part of that toolkit for sure. What people get wrong to the second part of your question is they imagine they're going to get there with critique. And that's not the way to get there. Right. The science tells us that it's literally 500% more effective to change people's behavior with positive recognition than critique, right? But a lot of us, it's easier to see what's going wrong than it is what's going right. But every leader as they elevate, 
they learn that catching people doing things right is actually job one, right? Let's just, even if you have to look really hard at that, that you're really only gonna grow people with recognizing when they do it correctly, right? And, and you'll have people in their 60s, I know you know some of these people, 70 years old that never figure that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty mind blowing. And I, I, I think about that today as a parent is, you know, am I just recognizing when they're doing something wrong? And I don't know where that came from, um, but it's it's so it's almost like our nature to like we're like everything's fine everything's fine something looks wrong go go solve that well, um, easier to see yeah. right yeah. <clears throat> let's blame the boomers what do you think <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah that's a good uh, that's a good blame pillow to have <laughs> I don't know what I think it's just so visible you know especially with kids everything matters yeah. so much and uh, everything you have an opinion as a parent about everything they do and so. But yeah, even with kids, catching them doing it right, honey, that's exactly that's exactly what I was talking about. That was really well done. Maybe next time you even try this other thing, and it translates directly into the into the workplace. And when you build up a recognition skill set, you can do a lot of things. And what's funny is as as you move up in an organization into executive leadership, that can become like your whole job. It's really all you're doing at a certain yeah. point. So, yeah. How how frequently do you actually see that done? You know, in the in the different worlds you go in in companies where people are by nature, and I don't know if that's empathy, I don't know if it's maybe they have more feeling for their environment, but where people are actually doing that um, and and consistently as well, not just like the Wally and the team come in, you know, they, they're they riding that high of, oh, I just learned something new, I'm gonna do this for a week, and yeah. then it dies out. Right, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, an expiration of, of that kind of, of motivation, right? Yeah. I would say I see it sometimes there's, there's different kinds of leaders that I get to work with. So three types, really one, there's the entrepreneurial leaders, there's the hired gun leaders, right? And then there's family business leaders. And th those are the three types I get to work with. The hired guns all know it because they had to learn it somewhere else or they wouldn't have gotten the job, mm -hmm. right? The entrepreneurs never know it. And that's all that stuff about founder syndrome and all that. They're really good at catching people doing things wrong. And because they're founders and started a company just like you, Greg, they know exactly how it's supposed to be. And it's really easy to see anything that's outside of the lines, right? So it gets a lot of their attention. So they need a lot of self-management um, to pay attention to what's going right. The family leaders can be a little bit better. They're kind of in between those two categories because you've got the familial relationships, which keep you from being too heavy, right? So they kind of land in the middle. But um, yeah, entrepreneurs, founders, they have the hardest time because the stakes are so high, right? And they're so plugged in, they know exactly what it's supposed to look like. So it's it's difficult. And I spend a, you'd be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised at how much of my conversations are centered around that exact thing mm -hmm. too. Two other things in there, if I could throw them in, is yeah. this, this thing that as your responsibility and authority goes up, that kind of self-awareness goes down, right? You get, you forget, it's harder. You got a bigger job, you got more people wait. And, and the biggest variable in the mix is something called position weight and position weight is or power dynamics whatever you want to call it that as you gain more authority and more um your bigger boss right in your business whatever your title is everything you say is multiplied by a lot right so you have this thing where you say like a, a level three cr critique let's say mm -hmm. or level three um feedback and it lands like what a nine a mm -hmm. ten lands with nuclear force right <laughs> like We've all had that happen to us, but as bosses and leaders and especially founders and entrepreneurs, we forget that we can't be highly critical because it just weighs too much, right? Have you ever been blown up by a casual critique from yeah. a company? We've all yeah. had it happen to us, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's it. Is is this multiplier of position weight making everything bigger than it is, and and we forget about that sometimes as leaders. Interesting. Yeah, position weight. I think that could be with a mentor. That could be, you know, anything. And you probably come across this in how people have conversations and how people approach conversations. I think that's a big part of a great leader is, you know, the words they use, the different power words or the words that help you release, you know, potentially the the stress of talking to that leader. Have you found anything, and this is kind of like a good news, bad news thing, but where people are able to give constructive, you know, criticism or feedback or, you know, whichever word you want to put to it in a way that is not going to affect, maybe you're commenting on someone's, you know, collar and, you know, maybe the last shirt they had, they spilled coffee on the collar and it's still like bugging them. And then you're like, Hey, you know, your collar looks a little bit off and it just makes them blow up because (laughs) they're holding it in. How do you confront that? to get to you know that path forward to help yeah. them improve, I guess you could say. There's some really reliable ways that, that again, part of that part of that toolkit. One is what you called out there, which is just remember what's happened so far. Like there's always emotional data in the room before you even start the meeting. Like what were the last three things you said to her kind of negative, right? Or were they positive? Like if she remembers, do you, right? So that, that's part of like remembering the emotional data or just acknowledging that, that there is a history there, what's happened. Have I made a few deposits before I made the withdrawal, right? And the other one, the bigger one is um, contexting. And really good leaders excel at contexting. And if you do it right, you can say almost anything, Greg. Like I could say, hey, I see all the hard work that went into this. I'm so glad I picked you for this project, Greg. I do have a couple pieces of feedback if that's okay with you. Okay, now whatever I say after that, I can say anything, right? Because I, I contexted, I softened the ground a little bit by acknowledging the work, telling you that I'm glad that you're on it, right? So leaders, uh, really great leaders get so good at that and they have the same kind of back pocket phrases they use all the time. One I use a lot is, hey, there's a chance I'm gonna say this in a, in a super clumsy way, Greg, but I need to say it and I, I need you to hear it in a way that'll that'll help you you know, deliver differently. It has nothing to do with the, what you've done so far, it has nothing to do with our amazing future together, but I, I need to share a couple things with you. Is that okay? Yeah. It doesn't matter what I say now, right? Because I, I did the work. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That make, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes as leaders, you get ramped up to get it out because you've been, you know, you know, as a leader, like you're stewing on something because you're yeah. trying to sort through all these different right. things in your business. And then somebody comes in and you're like, hey, you know, Wally, we need to have a conversation. And then you're like, you just spit it out. And then you know, it, it's, you don't know how it's going to hit. So it's that atomic bomb that you, you touched yep. on earlier yeah. being, well, being dropped. And back to your first question, this is where quiet leaders or um, less vocal leaders can have a little bit of a challenge sometimes is, is you won't have the conversation and then you won't have the conversation and then you won't have the, con- and then you finally do. And it's the pressure's kind of built up a little bit. And then when you do it, it has more emotion in it than it probably should because of the pressure, right? Have you ever had that where you finally have the conversation and it sounds really big <laughs> and it wouldn't have been had you talked to the person a few weeks ago, right? I'm sure you've had yeah. that. Oh man, many times. <laughs> you know that I mean, one? <laughs> yeah, many, 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 many times. Yeah, I think as a as a young leader, that was one of my you know biggest pain points was, you know, I was leading people who were twice my age and, you know, they were looking down on me. So I felt like, when I had a conversation, I had to bring a sense of seriousness to it um, yeah. to, to kind of gain respect 
before whatever I was going to say. And yeah. that made them basically shut off. Yeah. Um, but nobody would give me the feedback. And that's one of the biggest things I think for people who enjoy learning and, and kind of meeting people in the middle is I loved feedback. So like I, I knew somebody cared when they were giving me feedback, whether it was good, bad or ugly. So I was like, everybody else might want feedback as well. And right. I didn't know how to deliver it, um, which definitely hurts the other person. And that hurts you because you're not getting that desired effect. Yeah, that is so well said. And, and that's where a sports background like yours really pays off because you learn to, to really value feed, and like the quality of your feedback is the quality of your performance in, in sports, right? Like all the things you learn, don't do it that way, do it this way. And then immediately, like they tell you how to hold the ball or the, a different way to wind up, you get a different result as soon as you do it. And it's better. Mm -hmm. So you're like, give me more feedback. That's helping me. You're making me a better player. The same thing happens at work, but people aren't trained. They haven't had the reps that you've had in getting and using and leveraging feedback so it's a little bit tougher. I talk a lot about in, in coaching the second score and, and the second score is a very important idea. And, and the way it is, is let's say that you got a D minus or a C minus uh, level feedback. You didn't do it very well, Greg. Mm -hmm. You can still get an A plus on how well you accept that feedback, right? Which is really all the leader wants anyway. The leader already knows what happened. The leader's looking for how you accept that coaching feedback. And anybody can get an A plus on that, right? So I don't like what I'm getting. I don't like that I didn't do a good job, but I can overachieve, right? I can exceed your expectations by how I receive that. I can thank you for it. I can act on it, right? So does that make sense? The second score of how it's oh, received, yeah. it's a big deal. And what a lot of people don't know is that's really what the leader is looking for anyway, is how you absorb and leverage, you know, and turn that feedback into action. Yeah, that's that's a huge breakthrough because it's, it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond. And I think that second score, it puts a... Uh, it contextualizes that point that I think a lot of people, you know, want when you bring up, you know, not always positive information is you want someone to be receptive and then give you some type of response of, you know, I understand that, you know, where you're coming from and, you know, here's what I plan to do to improve. I mean, when we walk out of a conversation like that, it's like the weight lifted off both of our shoulders. It's amazing. Yeah, that's magical. Like if you if you gave me, let's say, a C minus level feedback, well, I really expected you to do better in the podcast. You know, I thought you had more to share than that. That's a bummer, right? I'm hearing this bad news. And I say oh, that makes hey, I appreciate the, the clarity there. I can definitely prepare differently next time. I think you'll see me come up with a different kind of energy next time we do it. Right. Like my stock is going up in that conversation, even while you're giving me negative feedback. Right. I mean, 100 percent. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's. What did it take to get you there to under, to kind of recognize that aspect? Because I think it's critical personally and professionally. Well, I get to watch in my role. I've got a front row seat to watch a lot of executive leaders deliver feedback. And I get to see how people react. And then I watch these executive leaders, the CEOs I work with, uh, watch these people's stock go up and down in their organizations based on can they accept this. And so I'll, I'll actually, you know, over the few years, you'll see whole org charts change based on who can and can't act on feedback. Whole companies change. We know some of these people in common, like they look different because of who can and who can't accept. Because you can't accept feedback, there's your lid. Mm -hmm. Right, didn't you see that in baseball? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you think you know, or you think you've had it, you have it figured out. And that's that's where you, you know, a year later you're off the team because your, your skill set didn't adjust or and worse, you're miserable. Yeah. yeah, and you don't even know why. Like the, yeah. and the, those guys, then they're telling the story. Yeah, 
you know, I guess it just wasn't for me. Or I didn't, you know, maybe if I'd have had a little bit more help. They're forgetting that along the way, six people told them to do it differently. And now they don't play baseball anymore. They don't work for the company anymore. Yeah, it's so big. Mm-hmm. It's um, I think we're you're spoiled because of your sports background. You saw feedback given, acted on, right, actualized, added up, where a lot of us go through our whole lives and haven't really seen a lot of that. We don't get a lot of reps. And so even in our 30s and 40s, we're not ready and don't know how to accept feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the school system teaches us here's the grade and there's no second score. There's no conversation about, you know, here's what happened on the test. Here's some ways you can do better. Yeah, that type of that type of back and forth does not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you don't, yeah, it needs to be a course. Yeah, with our parents, mm-hmm. like our parents are really good at that, where they'd say, "Okay, what are you going to do about this?" Right? Like mm-hmm. these are not okay in the Tomchick house. What are we going to do about this? Right? What? How can we help? Do you need additional resources? Do you need a tutor? How do we fix this thing? And um, yeah, so mm-hmm. all these things cross over to parenting too, of course. Yeah. How do you think we teach the general population, just like people at mass scales, you know, that type of life skill? Man, what a great question. Uh, I get to see it a lot. I am a little bit spoiled because I, I get to give a lot of feedback and I get to see who does and doesn't accept it. And, and it's definitely a personality trait a little bit, which you can't do much with. Yeah. Um, I guess just make sure there's a lot of feedback happening. So it's not so rare that people don't know how to deal with it. That's where, you know, 360s and a lot of things we do with um, annual reviews and all that can be really useful. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, assessments. There's a lot of really good assessments out there. You've heard of some of these DISC and predictive index and mm-hmm. Myers-Briggs and all that. It's a good way to accept a feedback, uh, some kind of feedback coming out of a machine. Sometimes people are better. Yeah with machine delivered feedback because it feels so objective. There's no human feelings behind it. You know what I mean? So that's one way. That's one way to get that box open. But uh, it's a great question. I don't have a great answer. A lot of the really great uh, thought leaders and leadership have tried hard to give us language to talk about how you get good at accepting feedback. Uh, Adam Grant talks a lot about it. Uh, a lot of a lot of Tom Peters used to talk a lot about it. Um, Jim Collins talks a lot about it. It's attached to humility in a way. Uh, and it, it also is who's giving the feedback. So in some organizations, when the boss is so big and important, this hasn't happened in your organization yet, but when you have a couple of layers between you and your frontline people, Greg, which you will, you won't be able to deliver feedback that's negative. It's just too radioactive because of that position mm-hmm. weight, right? So then you have to trust the next level down or the next level down. So that, that's how companies scale around feedback, but um, it's challenging. Yeah, it is, especially early on in a company because the stakes are so high. I mean, I've experienced that as a young, you know, young company and, you know, multiple partners who, you know, could accept feedback, couldn't accept it. Um, What do you think somebody, do you think that personality trait can be changed to, you know, I know you can improve your acceptance of feedback, but if somebody just doesn't want feedback, so they're not even seeking it, but you have to give it to them in order to continue the mission, you know, is it a lost cause or do you, you know, how do you get? through to somebody that doesn't want feedback and you can't tell them, you know, they don't like feedback and that, because that's feedback to them, I guess you could say. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the onus is on the deliverer, not the receiver. And so I think Mm -hmm. the conversation I'm in a lot, the, the leader just has to be very aware of what the ratio looks like. How many deposits have I made to my withdrawals? Right. And just like any other, any other account, when you make too many deposits, I mean, too many withdrawals, 
you're going to overdraw on the relationship, right? So it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the onus is on the leader to make enough deposits in the form of recognition and credit and attention, empathy, all those things you said earlier, in order to allow them to make a withdrawal when the time comes. People that won't accept feedback haven't had enough deposits. I really believe that. I don't yeah. think it's a, a, a this. I don't think there's a type of person. I think there's a type of person that hasn't had enough deposits in their life that makes them hard for them to accept feedback. They've been so critiqued the whole way through. Some of these people didn't get a lot of support from parents and teachers and coaches, all these things. And so a lot of times a progressive leader is the first time they've ever had recognition of themselves and their performance. And so that's how you crack the lid on being able to deliver the kind of critique that'll help them level up. But um, yeah, don't you think, do you believe that, that the onus is on the, the leader more than the receiver? Yeah, I do. I do. And I like how you contextualize the deposits and the withdrawals because that's that's an important distinction. I think sometimes we expect people to take things how we would accept it or would take it on, but that's not always the case. Um, and I think it's that story we're telling ourselves. If we're like, this person is supposed to accept it because um, I would accept it. Right. <laughs> that's that's a bad story to be telling that's, ourselves. So. That's so true. Like mm -hmm. our default is to deliver feedback the way that we want it. And it's the worst, right? Like we're how you're always wrong. If you do, if your default is how would I like it, you're a business owner. You've got all, you're built with a whole different kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think the onus is on us. We've got to make all these deposits. When I have someone that I'm working with saying, I just can't get her to do it differently, or I just don't think he can do it. I always ask about that ratio. Well, tell me about the deposit to withdrawal ratio. Where are we on this? Have we made enough deposits? It's the only way to, we already talked about the science, right? It's the only way to make people bigger. So um, a critique is making someone smaller while you're asking them to get bigger. I mean, it's, there's some impossibility there, right? So it lands on the leader to make sure that, that the proportion is right. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be such a fragile relationship because if you think about, you know, people that may not have seen leaders young, younger on in their, in their days, in their life, and then they get to their first job. I mean, that first leader or that first couple leaders is so critical for how they look at the world. Yep. Um, so it's such yeah. a fragile relationship. And it's like you said, it's got to be a part of the job description almost for a leader to have these you know, tools that you recognize as, you know, the toolkit for leadership. And um, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that can make or break somebody's whole perspective on where their career goes from there. Perfectly said. Yeah. And, and the stats are out there. Like all these numbers are changing out there in the world to, to reflect these priorities. The number one reason why people leave today isn't compensation, isn't anything, but the number one reason is, is that they don't feel appreciated. Number one. And number two is a distant number two. So the number one reason talented people with options leave jobs is because they don't feel appreciated. The number one thing people are looking for in their roles are professional development. It's not even money anymore. Wow. And if you think about the disparity, Greg, between company A and company B on positive recognition, it can be a thousand percent, right? Where the disparity on compensation is what, 10, 15%? So it's wildly different. And companies that, that aren't going to pay at the top of the market can still compete on culture because they're really good at creating that coaching environment where there's positive feedback and, and uh, carefully delivered critique, right? And we can we can play with anybody and compete with anybody in that way. But a lot of companies don't think of it. A lot of leaders don't think of it as being strategic, even though it is. Do you think a lot of the, the quitting and the, you know, not feeling 
appreciated and valued. Do you think that at its core is that companies are not doing enough when it comes to understanding what that individual links their self-worth to um, and kind of asking the right questions? Because I, you know, I've never been asked by previous employers, you know, hey, what do you value and how can we meet in the middle? Maybe I say, you know, I'll take half the salary if I can get, you know, 10 more days off to vacation. Nobody's ever even asked that question. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said earlier. We use our own defaults and uh, hear people think, most of us think that everybody else is motivated the same way we are. If we're money motivated, we think everybody is. If we're flexibility motivated, we think everybody is. If we're motivated by uh, upward trajectory or the ability to get more responsibility, we think everybody is. And they're not. To your point, some people want completely different things. So, yeah, we're, I think, don't you think we're being forced to get better at that? Yeah. Leaders, mm-hmm. we're in a moment where so many leaders uh, have realized, let's say in the last year, that their employees are not motivated at all like they are. So, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. a, size, a seismic shift. And we call it, the, it's the difference. We all know the golden rule, right? So the golden rule is treat others like you'd be treated. It's a great yeah. rule. That's why it's gold. But there's a platinum rule. And the platinum rule is treat others the way they'd like to be treated. And it's it's a game changer, right? Yeah. And so the gold rule worked for, what, a couple hundred years, but it's time to move on and yeah. to figure out why people want to be there and what, what success looks like for them and all those things you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the uh, these sayings that a lot of us don't even question, like, you know, keep calm, carry on, like th- these these kind of terms that we just kind of take into our repertoire and we believe and yeah. live it out. Yeah. It's, it's Until very all fascinating. Yeah. Our employees disagree, right? <laughs> yeah. But we can still be motivated that we are and just yeah. do the do the thoughtful work, just exactly the way you were describing is to figure out what success looks like for somebody else and where do they see themselves in three years? And, you know, it doesn't take a lot to figure out what someone wants out of their job, what someone wants out of their relationship with your company. So it's not yeah. like super complicated. We don't need to make it super complicated either. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that probably starts with establishing, you know, rapport, establishing trust from the start, because if you go into somebody that you don't know and, you know, they're just joining the company and you're like, what do you really want, you know, out of this role or out of your life? So that we can help you. You know, most right. people are like, oh, I just wanna, you know, I want to come to work and I want to help you accomplish things. And it doesn't get to the crux of what's gonna make that person push through the obstacles. Yes. Um, so I think, yeah, the platinum rule is that's yeah. a, that's a huge one. Well, imagine a boss, you sit down or you're going to work somewhere else <clears throat> and you say, Okay, here's our core values, here's what we care about around here. I'd love to hear how you see yourself contributing to these, John, as, as a new employee. Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear your definition of, of success. And I just want to go ahead and go on the record and say, I'm not always going to do and say what you want me to. I'm a very highly motivated founder of a company. Um, you may hear me raise my voice here and there. I care very much about what goes on here, but it doesn't mean we can't have conversations and it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything I say. Like, imagine that person, like who doesn't want to work for that person, right? Uh, yeah. But sometimes it takes us a while to get there and that you know that's what coaching's for mm-hmm. yeah why do you think so many people go into leadership with such a hard you know hard i guess a strong will um and they feel like they have to be that like you know hard rock of like you know this is stability which is like you know the anger and the you know telling people what they think they want to hear versus what they need to hear and you know, what, why do you think, is that just like the Roman, you know, leader that people are going after, or is it just programming? I think, 
you said it earlier. Where are the examples? Yeah. I mean, show me the good examples of bosses. Mm-hmm. I don't, is there one on TV? Is there one in the movie? I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen a good, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not thinking about it, but <clears throat> there's so many bad examples of manipulative, selfish, right? Um, hostile. In fact, even the word boss kind of connotes all these really negative things, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up and you've probably done some research on this or worked through the obstacles with folks as companies get more remote um, and kind of, you know, leading from a digital perspective. I mean, how do you how do you replace that in-person connection and the feeling of, you know, energies and, you know, how people's body language is it's you know, hard. the internet? That's that's today's conversation, right? Like that's yeah. super, super challenging. And we're very slowly figuring it out. There are ways to engage remotely in, that, that, in ways that bring the people closer to their organization. It's funny. I was reading the research yesterday about this actually. And it's like uh, the answer to, do you want to be a re- remote worker uh, is mostly yes. Right. Most of us are saying yes to that. Um, but at the same time, people are, the more remote you are, if you're fully remote, hybrid, whatever, the more remote you are, the less connected you feel to your company's culture and the less you like your job. Interestingly. So I'm telling you on one hand, Greg, that I'd like to work, work remotely, even though over time I'm going to come to dislike my job more. Like, I don't even know what's best for me. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so that it really, so it's, that is not resolved and we'll have to figure out, I'm sure there's technical tools. We just got ahead of this. All the futurists said that we were all going to be in this remote mode by 2028, 2027, 2028 is what they all say. Of course, the pandemic fast forwarded all this. We weren't ready for it. Culturally, we weren't ready for it. Right. So all the technology shows up. We're like, hold it. What do we do now? Is this what work looks like now? No one's really sorted it out. So you need to fix that, Greg. Get on it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the recommendations we started to make to companies that we work with is less plugged in time um and we realized like the the desire to come in the next day or the desire to bring yourself to a project as opposed to being on your email you know 14 15 hours a day yeah. you know reducing that a couple hours made them more excited to do the work of the project and it's not cybersecurity but it's it's really you know a huge mindset shift companies need yeah. because we use technology kind of in a trans almost like we're right. just like it's here. It's a part of us, that's but it. we never question if there are downsides, like you mentioned, which is no. Well, and there, that's all. Yeah, exactly. And this idea of um, all these, you know, push notifications coming at us all the time, and not making decisions about what comes into our attention or what comes into our consciousness during the day. So all that stuff's going to get. I think that's to, is one answer to your question: is we're going to get better at managing that, where we see these things on a schedule. Right. I look at my emails every 45 minutes. I don't look at them in real time because our attention is being subdivided in a way that's hurting productivity, right? I always think of it like it's a war between everybody and Palo Alto or wherever all the people are that are inventing these things. We're losing this war uh, and it's not close. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So our attention is being divided and subdivided and we're not very good at managing that yet. So that'll be, there'll be a bunch of coaching around that and a lot of best practices that are starting to show up just like the one you just said. Can I ask you a question about your business? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious about, and I see this in healthcare and other industries too, where people don't make the decision to solve a problem until after some kind of incident, right? Like the joke is, I'm going to get serious about my health and diet after the stroke. And it happens in your business too, right? It almost takes Mm -hmm. a cybersecurity incident 
to get very serious about cybersecurity, right? So what are, what are you doing about that? How can you help us take it seriously before there's some kind of threat showing up? Yeah, I almost think about it. And you've mentioned this before, like, do you wait till after the health crisis to get healthy? Um, I think for a lot of people, they have to see signs of it being a, a potential thing to happen, whether it happens to them or happens to somebody they know. Okay. Um, we always compare it to, you know, if you, if you spend a little bit now, you're going to avoid that triple cost of what's going to come later. Um, yeah. and I, I always relate it to health just because that's what I know from baseball and sports is if you wait until the season's over to improve and you're not improving in practice, you know, each and every day, um, you're probably not going to be in the winner's side, you know, by the championship season of, of that year. Um, so it's those small activities. And I think a lot of folks are so confused when it comes to cybersecurity, they don't even take those small steps. Um, so that's, that's been a huge one that we talk a lot about and, you know, keynotes and speeches that we give is, here are the activities. We'll give you the step-by-step plan, but if you're not willing to periodically practice and visit it, you know, you're not going to get anywhere and you're probably going to be a part of that statistic that, you know, has the health crisis or has the cyber attack or has the, you know, your company blows up from a leadership standpoint. I think it's, it's muscle memory. It's practice. Um, I think that's where a lot of people are missing out right now. And that's why I, I like to bring kind of a coaching aspect to cybersecurity because I think people need, you know, cybersecurity coaches or technology coaches. Yeah. Um, especially when they're running companies that are, you know, so connected and, you know, doing so much business from a digital perspective, they're just kind of shooting from the hip. They're not doing it consciously. And most of them want to be conscious right. in how they lead their business. Yeah. I like the idea of coaching there. I, I think, yeah, it would help like who's not a technology company now. Mm -hmm. Find me a company that's not a technology company. You're, you, you install fences, you're still a technology. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that idea that we're all that, because I think people used to put your business and the need for it in a certain sector, but it doesn't belong there. And what you said earlier was also true. Like as soon as someone near you gets it, you take it seriously. And mm -hmm. then that, yeah. that again and again, like in a group, someone, and then of course everybody's making the phone call and getting hooked mm -hmm. up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Answer. You got, you have to feel it. And it's just like with leadership, you have to almost feel that conversation of, I was able to make those deposits before I dropped this versus just getting right into the withdrawal. Right. And, and until you feel the difference in the outcome of that situation, you kind of only know one way. Um, and yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, I think at the, at the crux of what we've talked a lot about today, which is, you know, that consciousness getting better each day and having people around you who are helping you improve. And that's that's where leaders support leaders and build up other people to become leaders. And that's what we need more of. No doubt. No, mm -hmm. well said. What, um, what are some other tools in the toolkit that we may not have hit on that you know, you're seeing as critical um, for folks who are either aspire to be leaders or are already leaders that are continually improving? Two, I'll say two more things. I think whatever you can do to increase your self-awareness, right? Like self-awareness is one of the things that get, gets more challenging as you move up, like we talked about. And specifically, uh, fluency around unconscious biases. And there, we're all starting to get exposed to some conversation about unconscious biases, but they just drive so many business outcomes. And I'll, and I'll give you a couple of examples. 
unconscious bias, of course, means a bias that's at work in your life or in your work that you're unaware of that's influencing things. A classic one is uh, affinity bias, which shows up as a gut feeling about someone. I'm interviewing. I interviewed three people, and I had a, such a good gut feeling about that middle guy, Mark. He just seems like the kind of guy that would be a great culture fit. He, that's all bias, 100%. That, you know, that's why we hire the person that went to our college or was in our fraternity or, or who plays golf like we do. Or You know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane and there's so much risk in it. And we never, a lot of really highly placed leaders still make most of their big decisions that way. The other one is status quo bias, which is an irrational preference for how things are. Even though how things are may be the riskiest proposition. And I see it every day. I'll see it again today. I'm sure two or three times where the choice that's being made is the riskiest possible choice. But because it's the way we've been doing things, all the inertia is there, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's so hard. I, mean, I guess that's why they're unconscious biases, right? You can't see it. So some kind of fluency around that. The other one is um, recency bias, like results that have happened most recently carry the most weight, even though they may not be the most important data. Um, so there's so much there. I'm trying to get better at that myself. That's a study for me. But status quo bias may be the biggest risk in business today. Uh, and it almost needs to flip. Like anything that you've done the same way for a certain period of time, Greg, is risky. If you, you know, this is a process, we've been doing it this way for five years. Well, crap, blow that up. Five years? What process can survive five years? Are you kidding me? Uh, and yet there's the inertia, right? Pushing it along, creating risk. So does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something I, I think about, but sometimes can't contextualize it. Um, those unconscious biases and how do we, you know, without feedback from the outside world, you know, we're just listening to our own thoughts. Um, well, one of the, one of the things I've been studying a lot and I'm going to have some guests on, on is like, is how the, how the nervous system impacts some of the decisions we make and, um, how it just impacts how we go about, you know, living, living our daily lives, business, personal side yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I'll look forward to that one. Yeah. The weird thing about that, the unconscious bias thing is it happens. Smart people have it worse than everybody else. Like almost the smarter you are, the more confidence you have in these biases, which is crazy dangerous, right? So it's almost like the disease of really smart people. <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it's, it's nuts, but good. When you have those guests on, I'll, I'll tune in for sure. I've got a lot to learn on that. Yeah. That, I think that's like a whole nother book is unconscious biases. And so for the status quo, bias so that is i know everybody says like we've always done it this way so that's the way we're going to do it how do you think you find the balance of of questioning your status quo without being the person who you know one day has one goal then they throw that goal out and they're going for another goal to kind of and they get exhausted yeah, um, yeah. By, by trying to change things quickly leadership add uh, <laughs> yeah. so my favorite question on it is the and i'll ask you the 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 takeover uh, CEO question. And that is mm -hmm. if somebody else came in with a ton of cybersecurity experience who'd run a successful company, maybe even exited or sold a successful company, came in and took over your business, what would they change right away? What would they change immediately? Because they're not subject to any status quo bias, right? They're ready to blow it up, right? So, and people always have an answer to that question. Every leader goes, I know exactly what they would do. <laughs> they would fire this guy. They would change this thing. They would raise prices. They would uh, fire this set of clients. They would move, um, whatever. But there's always an almost an immediate answer to that, which penetrates status quo bias. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's com it's complex because 
you, you only do what you know is is true in what you've done up to that point. But the only way to improve is to kind of know you don't know it and and ask the right questions to the people around you. And I think that's the hardest thing to do as a leader because it makes you maybe look weak or look like you're not, you know, the, the right person for the job sometimes because you don't know that certain point yeah. or how to change it. Yeah, but it's obviously that kind of progressive um, vulnerability, like, hey, I think this is the right way forward, but I, let's explore, Let, let's see. And you're, you're, the way you said it there was great. Like, I'm doing the best I can, but is it the best? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's find out. Right? Like yeah. that's, that's where all the good stuff comes from, right? Is that gap mm -hmm. between your best and the best, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the, now that we talk about it, that's one of the traits in like great coaches versus good coaches was they, they kind of recognize like this is a new season. You know, we may have done things this type of way, but this is a new season with new opponents. We need to kind of redefine you know, how we operate as a team, what type of routines we do, all that good stuff. And that's what helped us. You kind of reset your biases and then you create, you know, obviously create new ones as you go into the season, but right. that's critical. Yep, no doubt. And that's why it's sometimes easier uh, to do that as a losing team, right? Where yeah. everybody knows that these don't work. The winning team has trouble breaking the status quo bias, right? Because even though the stakes have changed and the pieces on the board are different now, it's hard to make those changes. Yeah, it is. What do you think about um, connecting with personnel, connecting with other leaders in your company? For folks listening in, you know, if they're in a remote environment and there's not the ability to get together, you know, what are you recommending folks do to keep the connection going that you need to operate, you know, something that's going against the grain, either a company or, um, you know, some type of project you're working on. Yeah. Well, what can people do to connect when they feel so unconnected, but they're, you know, connected by the internet? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. I, I'm still, I'm sort of in the discovery phase there. I've mm -hmm. seen some things work. There's some best practices for sure. There's a, a bunch of companies now that have like a zone during the day. That's the no meeting zone that works across all the, the time zones they might exist in. If it's one or two or three or four, like a one hour and that, that is time for non-meeting conversation. If you want to connect with someone, there are some people that are doing hybrid um, work things where they have like all in Wednesday, just a day, right? That we all, we all get in there as best we can. Or uh, one day in that's just for de certain departments. Like we're going to have the marketing in on Monday. We're going to have, ops in on Tuesday, the coders are in on Wednesday, whatever it is. There's a couple of companies like that operating in assembly where we both work mm -hmm. um, and it's, it works. Uh, anything social. I mean, it, it's funny because all this stuff seems so nerdy and some of it's even cringy, but happy hours, alcohol free, happy hours with, with the team. Um, mm -hmm. Breakfast. I've been part of a waffles breakfast that was completely virtual. <laughs> we had a yeah. breakfast together with these, everybody cooked their own waffles and showed up. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I think we're going to get a lot more clever about that. That's mm -hmm. a work in progress. I bet we're, what do you think? 10% to where we're going to be on how that's going to work. I just, I, I don't, I don't really see companies doing anything. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of like, it's easier to not do something that might seem corny to some people. And it's like, those are the things people most of the time enjoy. They're like that's kind of corny, but I like it because it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And there, I always say if, if people are rolling their eyes, yeah. they're still there. Right. It's almost like that's the goal. If I can be yeah. so nerdy 
that I can get half my team to roll their eyes. I've done something right as a leader, right? Like there he goes again. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's great. Yeah. Yeah. You help them improve as well. And that's, you know, that's at the crux of leadership and um, it's helping get people out of their comfort zone, which that's where people most of the time will grow the most. Yeah. When they're outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Courageous. Yeah. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation, a lot to unpack here. Um, we're going to have some good snippets that we'll come out with on uh, some of the great things you've been able to share with us today. Um, one of the questions we like to end the show with, uh, which is at the crux of why we do this show each week, is around connection. Um, Wally, in your life today, what, is, what does connection mean, you know, personal or business? I, I would narrow it down to for me, everything is about influence, right? Like we've talked about. And so for me, connection means that I'm influencing some outcomes in my community and that I'm being influenced by these outcomes in my community. Like I'm attached both ways. I'm pushing, I'm a force for good, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm also benefiting from the the great work that other people are doing. But that's how I get a feel of connection. There's a physical connection, but it's mostly this sort of invisible uh, momentum in a community uh, or an industry that, that I like being a part of, and it makes me feel really good and connected. And I work mostly remote. You know, I don't have a, a real day-to-day office except here at home. Um, so it's important, and I'm a big believer in it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I'm going to drop in the chat here. Um, the Leader Lab, uh, Leadership as a Verb, new book. Where can folks find that? Is it across all avenues? It's on our theleaderlab.com website and, and on Amazon. But yeah, brand new ebook. Okay. We made it very inexpensive, and um, yeah, I get it. it. It's the first fully graphic leadership book, and it's 150 pages, really? graphic images. Some of you have seen a lot, some of this stuff on LinkedIn, but uh, it's a very easy read. It reads like a leadership comic book, but it'll make an, an impression. I promise. <laughs> I love the uh, the graphic because a lot of people are pulled into graphics, and sometimes words on paper. You know, don't really pull folks in. Yeah. Um, so I like what you guys are doing there. Sometimes or every time, right? Like, <laughs> give me some pictures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's that's great. Um, great resource for folks to check out. Leadership is a verb. Um, what exceptional leaders know. Uh, bestseller. Um, would you recommend folks check that out? Are you guys have you guys done anything lately? I know you came out with a new edition. Yeah, we had our, the second edition, What Exceptional Leaders Know, was our second book and was the number one bestseller, as you said, which was awesome. Um, the new book, uh, Tanya, is called Leadership is a Verb. And um, you can find it on our website or you can find it on Amazon. Definitely put that in the chat. Wally, always a pleasure to connect. Uh, thanks so much for sharing with us and look forward to having you back on the show in the future. That'll be fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'll see you around, Greg.